three of the Five Star Wellbeing podcast. I'm Arwen from Even Star Wellbeing, and I'm delighted to be back hosting this third series of the show. I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which this show is produced, the Wadarong peoples of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. This land is stolen land and sovereignty was never ceded. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Whether you're new or a returning listener, I'm so pleased to have you here. If you're new, there are 49 episodes across series one and two for you to catch up on. There's so much goodness there, so please get into it. My website is evenstarwellbeing.com and you can find all the episodes there as well as all the information you need about my services as a holistic health coach and healer. So on to this new series. Once again, I have wide ranging guest list to bring to you this season to help you feel better, be better and do better in all aspects of your well-being and life. If you enjoy the show, it's super helpful if you share it with others that you think will get something from it. And it's even better if you rate and review the show on the platform that you're listening to it on, because then it will reach more people who you don't know, but who will benefit from listening. So you're really paying it forward. I hope you get enjoyment and even more importantly, education from this series. Be well. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Five Star Wellbeing podcast. I'm Arwen from Even Star Wellbeing and very pleased to be here again as your host for this show. Today I am chatting with Jennifer Moore. Jen is an author, empathic mentor and master trainer for EFT International. What we're going to talk about is what is EFT or tapping as it's sometimes known and what are the benefits of using it and certainly as an empathic mentor we talk a lot about what being an empath is how you can tell if you are and what you can do about it what are some things that you can put in place for yourself so I hope that you get a lot out of this episode and I will chat to you again at the end Welcome everyone, delighted to be back here again with another episode of the Five Star Wellbeing Podcast and welcome to everyone who's watching on video as well. I've got another wonderful guest for you today, best-selling author Jennifer Moore. Jennifer holds a master's degree in psychology and religion. She's also an accredited master trainer for EFT International and founder of the Empathic Mastery Academy. Jen supports other highly sensitive, intuitive women to release empathic overwhelm and distress so they can access access their inner wisdom and power. Jen's book, Empathic Mastery, is an Amazon bestseller and she also hosts her own podcast called The Empathic Mastery Show. So welcome, Jen. I love to start with just a bit of background about you so we can understand how you got to be where you are today, doing what you're doing today. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me, Arwen. I'm really excited to be here. Ah, so where do we even begin? (laughs) I guess what I would say is we start at the very beginning. I was born, um, I was born into a pretty normal or average, you know, white American family, sort of the classic suburban America with the Like, I mean, we didn't have a white picket fence. We actually had a split rail fence with like pink (laughs) roses growing in front of it. But, um, but we had, but we, you know, but I grew up basically with like, you know, two parents and, and, uh, and like the dog and eventually we got rid of the dog and we got cats and I had a brother and a sister and life was just like really sort of 
your classic American childhood, except that I was not your classic American child. And from the time I was really little, I kind of knew I was different. I was more sensitive than most other kids were. I was constantly being called a chatterbox because I was very verbal, even as a very, very little child. But I also was being told that I was too sensitive, that I was overreacting, that I was taking things too personally, and that I just needed to develop a tougher skin. And even the children could really see or recognize that there was, you know, that I was a little bit different, that I was an outlier. So I really related to, I don't know if you guys have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in Australia, oh, yeah. but I really related to Rudolph. Like I was, and, and to being like into the misfit toy, toys, like I knew that I was different. And I also was really fascinated by all things magical. Like even as a very, very small child, I, you know, was like my favorite TV shows were like Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie, which is dating me for sure. <laughs> but like, I was, you know, I just like the sense of possibility, the sense of magic that really excited me. And so by the age of nine, I had my first prophetic dream where I dreamed that the night that my very first best friend's mother died, I dreamed my own mother died, which is very much the way an empath experiences things because uh, I'll sort of jump ahead in the sense that, as you mentioned in the bio, my work is all about empaths and all about all things empath and what it means to be that. And so before I go any further, I'll just say that my definition of empath, because different people have slightly different definitions, is that an empath is a being who picks up the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, the sensations from the world around them. But unlike an intuitive, a psychic, a medium a channel who knows that they're picking up information and receiving it and recognizing that it's not theirs, empaths experience all of the information through their own felt sense, through their own filters. And so they process information as if it's their own. And so the challenge with being highly sensitive and empathic is that instead of it being, oh, I'm sensing sadness in the world around me, it's I feel incredibly sad. Or in the case of this prophetic dream, I didn't dream about my friend's mother dying. I dreamed my own mother died. And so what's hard about this is that in a culture that does not own its feelings, which there's a fair bit of compartmentalizing and stuffing down emotions in, in Western civilization, what happens is the feedback you get from a very early age is not, oh my goodness, you're picking up on my sadness. It's pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. There's nothing going on here. You're just making this stuff up and you're being, you're just overreacting. There's, you know, like basically nothing to see here and move along folks. And so for me, I was picking up stuff from a very, very, very early age, but I wasn't getting any validation that this was what was going on. And so the only conclusion that I could possibly form was that there was something wrong with me and that I needed to toughen up, that I needed to fix myself, that I needed to be a different kind of person. And that obviously I was just, you know, this sensitivity had nothing to do with anything else outside of me. Therefore, like I needed to deal with what was going on with me. And so as you might imagine, this is really hard and really stressful. And so within, by the time I was like in early a tween and in early adolescence, I was finding ways to self-soothe primarily with sugar and books. And so I would dive into a book or I would basically like turn to food, uh, especially, but like I said, especially sugar and sweet things to try to get some kind of sense of relief. But while books certainly are a great escape mechanism, you can only read so many books. Sugar, on the other hand, is definitely not a very good thing for self-soothing. 
And so I was finding myself not able to control my emotions, feeling more and more emotionally unstable and anxious, and really spinning out with a lot of body image issues, with a lot of like not being able to control my food cravings and yet feeling incredibly guilty about it and just really in a state of distress. And so by the time I was basically in my early 20s, I landed in a therapist's office who happened to be a really gifted therapist. She was not my first therapist. I saw some not so great therapists. And if anybody is considering working with a psychotherapist, what I would absolutely say is fit really matters. And you may have to try a few people, Mm -hmm. but I ended up with this amazing therapist who happened to be intuitive and very psychic and who was the first person who started to help me recognize that so much of the time, what I was feeling was as a direct result of something that was going on in the world around me. And it wasn't just mine. And the thing is that if you're trying to fix what is, you know, if you're trying to fix something and the only answer you have is that it's something inside of you, but it's not inside of you, there's only so much you can do to deal with that until you can identify that it's that you're actually absorbing the energy from the outside world. So I know long, long answer, but lot of lot lot to the story for sure. Mm. And so yeah. this therapist helped you to realize that it, you know, wasn't something wrong with you. Right. She, I mean, if so often, and I mean, I spent years working with this, I mean, she was an amazing woman and I spent years working with her and it was like, like at first, like I was just coming to her trying to figure out like how to make me better or how to make me less, you know, less distressed, less anxious. And it was like, it was such an incredible relief though, to have somebody who was able to help me see how so frequently if I was coming to her in a state of distress or feeling out of sorts and feeling like worried or wonky, it was after an encounter with somebody else, after some kind of thing had happened. And so she was the person who started to help me to like unpack the the baggage and sort of pull apart the puzzle and look at the pieces and go, oh, I was fine. And then I had this encounter with this person who was really upset and distressed about something. And then I was upset and distressed. And she was the first person who like helped me to start grasping how um, porous and emotionally sensitive I was to other people's stuff. I didn't fully understand the ramifications of what all of that meant at that point in my life. Like it has been definitely a journey to really understand just how profoundly being an empath can affect pretty much every aspect of life. But she was the first person who started to help me to like recognize when I was feeling something and whether it was actually mine or not. And I would say that most of the time, if the distress was kind of like amplified that it was not just mine. And I'll actually go out on a limb and say, just sort of this realization as I'm talking, because I don't think I've ever said this before, but I actually think that when the thing about empathic distress is that there's something very disconcerting about it because you can't identify the source in the same way. And I know that when something is going on in the world around me or, or like, like going on for me about some circumstance or something going on, I could be feeling very distressed. I could be feeling very anxious. I could be feeling very angry. I could be feeling very um, sad. Like I could be feeling any number of emotions, but I know they're mine and I know why I'm feeling them. And so even if it's uncomfortable, there isn't this feeling of uneasiness about it. Like, it's just kind of like, oh, this is just how I'm feeling. Whereas when I'm feeling picking up on the distress from the world around me, part of what makes it extra uncomfortable is the fact that it's very hard to identify the reason why I'm feeling this way. Mm. I like, there's a sort of like, why, like, there's no reason I should be feeling this way 
Why am I feeling this way? And I actually find that this is pretty much a dead giveaway that what I'm experiencing is something that's coming from more than myself Mm -hmm. if I cannot correlate it with anything. Now, I will say that knowing oneself and knowing one's history is a very important part of that discernment because if we have a lot of skeletons in the closet and have not dealt with our trauma, then we can get triggered by things that are lurking under the surface and it can feel like it's coming from the outside world. But if you've done enough of like after a certain point where you kind of know what's under the hood and you're still having these sort of like feelings, feeling gripped with terror for no reason whatsoever. In my experience, that is generally because, because I, or, you know, you or the listener is picking up on empathic distress. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. That's a really good way to for people to help dif- differentiate. Differentiate, yeah. Mm. Um, but so when you had that prophe- prophetic dream when you were a little girl, what what response did you get from your family, or you know, did you tell anyone? I was so talkative. I am sure I told people and I'm just trying to think of, you know, so like I got, I had the dream and I don't think I had, and I think like life was going on. So like I went through my day and I had like the worst day of my nine-year-old life. Like I was really, I was just verklempt. I was like heartbroken and bereft and just really feeling absolutely awful because my friend, I'm sure, who I hadn't seen in a couple of years because she was living, like I grew up in Massachusetts, but her family had moved to upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And so they lived like a good, like five, six hours away from us by car. So it wasn't like I saw her at all, but, um, but I, but I was connect. I still was connected to her. So I had this, I had just the most emotional day of my nine-year-old life. And at the end of the day, my mom was just sort of announced to us at the dinner table that my friend's mom had died of breast cancer that night. And I knew, I just knew, but I'm trying to think of like, I grew up with a family of self-identified like agnostics and atheists. And while my mom's family was very like, was, was, were practicing um, Irish Catholics, Mm -hmm. my dad's family were sort of intellectual agnostics. Like they sort of like, like did lip service to church, but really like my father was not raised, was not raised in a practicing religion, like his parents were intellectuals, which is pretty spectacular because my dad was born in the mid thirties. And so my grandparents were like really outside of the box in terms of like American culture, like people went to church when my father was a kid and he didn't, but my mom had left the church when the Catholic church, when she was in her early twenties before I was born. And so as a result, my parents did not have any faith, any kind of faith practice or faith or belief. And they were, so they, their, their religion was science. Their religion was intellect. Their religion was rationality. And so I, I got a lot of, there's no such thing as magic. There's no such thing as God. There's no such thing as these kinds of things, but somehow that that extrasensory perception stuff was a little bit outside of outside of that that x that area and so i believe like at my mom she actually was the person who said you know i was reading an article about this thing called esp and i mean i still remember when she told i was like nine so it was around the same age And I just remember, like, it feels like, like when I hear the word ESP, it's like, it feels like it was like the, the words are just reverberating, like in my head, like ESP. And that for me was like, just like, that was one of the clues that I needed to understand myself. So I think my mom 
kind of got it because my mom also was very intuitive. And I like, there's a story about my great grandmother um, on the night that one of her sons went overboard at sea. Cause I come from my mom's side of the family. were all like Irish, you know, like they were like fishermen from Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. Canada. And, uh, and so when one of my uncles went over overboard and died at sea, he appeared at the foot at the bed at the at the at the bed of my grand my great grandmother and basically to say goodbye like he was standing at the foot of her bed woke her up and was like I love you I'm good bye bye so I come from people who have abilities and my mom has abilities but my mom was also just kind of like really did a bit of throwing the baby out with bathwater so I got a lot of very conflicted information, like sort of like, yes, no, yes, no, coming from my mom. Mm -hmm. And my, my dad's side of the family, and particularly my grandmother thought all of this stuff was hooey. And so I grew up with a fair bit of skepticism, and a fair bit of like, you know, prove it kind of energy coming. And that was something that I, unfortunately, manifested repeatedly, in relationships with very skeptical atheist partners <laughs> who like had no, and who, who basically were kind of like, yes, yeah, sure. That's what you're saying. And so I've really had to, I see it as in many ways. I mean, it was, it was hard growing up with that kind of negation and that kind of invalidation, but I also really appreciate the fact that I'm comfortable speaking to skepticism and I'm also comfortable acknowledging skepticism and acknowledging that something can really seem really weird in a way that if I had just grown up around people who just accepted it, I might not have as much willingness to sort of create a bridge between sort of woo and practicality and a big part of the work that I I've been able to do is really learn how to kind of have both the woo and the practicality and sort of at least a nod to the scientific side of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you probably couldn't be doing what you do now if you didn't understand both sides. Right, right. I mean, I could certainly continue to do the intuitive and the psychic work and everything, but having it grounded in like understanding the basics of neuroscience, like understanding the basics of like, you know, the vagus nerve and how these things work makes it a lot easier, but it also makes it a lot more accessible because some people want to understand things from an energetic standpoint. Some people want to understand things more from a physiological standpoint. And I think it's really, it's really helpful to have enough, to have more than one perspective of the world Mm -hmm. so that you can communicate with people who have different perspectives than you do. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah. But working with people who are trying to understand how to um, protect themselves as empaths. Yeah, I think it's very beneficial that you've got that that big um, that big view of of how other people might see them and and understand what they're going through or not understand it. Yeah, I think that's really that's really great that you've got that background. Now I know that you work with EFT, emotional mm-hmm. freedom technique or tapping as it is often yeah. called um, quite a bit, but I did think to myself there may be a number of people who are listening who don't actually know what that is. Don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah, give us a 101 on that. Okay, so EFT stands for emotional freedom techniques and the simplest way to describe it is that it's kind of like a form of mental, emotional acupuncture without the needles. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we think about an issue, something that's going on for us. Maybe it's a physical pain. Maybe it's a craving. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's a limiting belief. Like um, I was working with uh, doing some work with my mentees the other day, and we came up against a really old belief, which is basically the only way to get anything done is if you work hard with, you know, if you're disciplined and you work hard like period. That's the only way that anything is ever, the only way you're ever going to succeed. And so when it comes to EFT, we sort of identify 
either the general sense of something or the very precise issue that is going on. And then what we do is we tap on a series of um, acupressure points or acupuncture points on our body. Usually they're sort of the end points of meridians. And we tap on either our hands, our head and our torso mostly, while we will usually be speaking using very like using a, a formula that's generally very simplified. So instead of, and it can, it is possible to just kind of like tap and talk, but to really address and clear things, it's generally more effective if we focus very precisely on one specific thing. Mm-hmm. And so I've personally just witnessed absolute miracles with this. I will also say that on first glance, tapping can look really weird. And <laughs> if you are vain, like I, I am, <laughs> when I first started doing it, I really didn't want to look like a monkey. Like I really was kind of like, this looks really weird. Like people are going to think I'm really weird. I now have gotten so used to doing it. And I also have experienced so much relief that I'm very comfortable doing it because the thing about tapping is that what it, and, and it's, I don't necessarily understand the exact mechanism of why this does this, but what tapping does is it calms down our nervous system. It re-regulates, allows us to re-regulate our vagus nerve, vagus, the vagus nerve, but it also reboots the amygdala, which is the fight or flight mechanism in our brain. And we live in a culture like up until maybe the industrial revolution, where people started to have these sedentary lives and experiences, as a species, we have been active. And mammals are generally made to basically, like the way that adrenaline and stress hormones work, and the amygdala, which controls our fight or flight mechanism works, is that what happens for us is that we get this surge of adrenaline and it gives us the energy to either fight or flee. But if we don't have any other option, we will often freeze or flop or fawn, which is much more common with women. But the thing is, when we either fight or flee, we exert enough energy that we like shake off the, the, the extra energy and we sort of burn off the extra adrenaline. And so what happens is when we're sort of out of harm's way and the energy, like the effort we've made is kind of like subsided, the amygdala goes back to normal, like the, the sort of like the flap, the, the trap door closes. But because we're living in a culture where most threats are existential as opposed to like, there's no saber toothed tiger that's chasing us. Now it's a text from our boss. And so we do not exert any effort to shift it. And what happens is we stay in these perpetual states of cyclical stress that keep reinforcing itself. And so many of us are in this state where our amygdala, which is the the part of our brain that is signaling stress to us, stays in this state of like stress, 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 which then causes our adrenal systems and like the, you know, our stress hormones to pump out more cortisol and adrenaline, which then gets us in this state of just like this, this tape loop of constant stress. So the beautiful, beautiful thing about EFT is that it allows our nervous system, our alarm system and the amygdala in our brain to stand down and to stop signaling danger when we are not, you know, when we are physically not in danger. Mm. And amazingly, it also really allows us to repattern the way that we perceive things that frequently when we tap on something where we might've been frozen in amber with a memory from the time we were like toddlers, we can tap on it and loosen it and see it. And and which allows us to see it in a new way, because a lot of times the conclusions that we form about life 
as two-year-olds or four-year-olds or six-year-olds or nine-year-olds is not accurate. But that part of us gets locked in the distress and sort of stays in that place and often will be informing our sense of anything that even remotely resembles that experience. So that's an explanation for EFT. Yeah, I mean, it kind of it interrupts. It's, you know, you're obviously working with energy because we're tapping yeah. on active pressure points. So it interrupts the signaling and the energy. And yeah. Well, and Gary Craig, who's the founder of EFT, the person who created the basic recipe and came up with, you know, sort of like a lot of what we understand about EFT today, he um, referred to it as like energy disruptions in the energy field. And that what he believed is that all distress, is as a result of basically like energetic um, congestion, or I use the word congestion, he calls them zits, like, but basically like these places where we have these kind of like short circuits in the energy system. Yeah. And that by tapping on the acupuncture points, I almost think of it as like an ultrasonic cleaner by tapping on the energy points and tapping on the sequence of our acupuncture meridians, what we are doing is we are actually kind of clearing the energy streams that are running through us. And that is then allowing those places where we are emotionally and mentally congested to um, uh, dissipate to expand and to open up, which then allows us to perceive things in a whole new way. Yeah. 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 And so you um, do that. So all your work is remote now. All of my work is remote right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, eventually I might be able to, because I mean, I have this beautiful space that I built right before everything started that has, and, and I built it immediately. Like I was guided by spirit. And so the space is exactly what it's supposed to be. Like there's an entire upstairs loft that was designed for trainings and teachings and ceremony and rituals. And before we had to go into lockdown and everything kind of went sideways here in the U S really on the entire planet planet. Yeah. Um, I was having, um, like, like, like I was bringing in, um, sound bowl, like crystal bowl, sound healing, mm-hmm. amazing, like just amazing things were already starting to happen in the space. And I know that when it is time, the space will be ready for live events as well. But interestingly, um, I actually probably, when it comes to like one-on-one work and it comes to ongoing courses, that will remain virtual because um, I really, really love working virtually. And what I've also found is that where it feels to me like often people who are more neurotypical and maybe quote muggles unquote um, will have a much harder, seem to have a much harder time with zoom and with virtual connecting than those of us who are highly sensitive and, you know, intuitive, tele, you know, telepathic, empathic. And so what I've noticed is that a lot of us who have more of the sort of psychic or senses, you know, sensitivity, we enter into these spaces with each other and we share energy, you know, outside of time and space. Mm. And that allows us to connect in a way but it also allows us to not be picking up the um, static of the of the physical body in our presence, mm. and uh, sometimes the phys- like the physical distractions of being in the presence of another person. Whereas for your average person, what I've seen is that if you're not able to pick up on the energy, then you're over compensating by trying to follow visual cues in this little thumbnail in front of you on your computer screen and trying to catch the auditory cues of the tone of voice and things like that, but missing a lot of that information. Whereas for those of us who are sensitives, I actually think that working virtually in some ways is actually more effortless than working in person because there's less of the physical distractions that can really be like overwhelming for somebody who's really super sensitive like I am. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I I can understand that. Um, I mean, I've certainly taken part in rituals and things during COVID that were all online and you can yeah. still feel amazing connections and, um, you know, amazing uh, just sensations of energy even though, and, and you're probably right about the physical, you know, destruction of being being in the same space with other people can can play a part. My only thing is the whole, you know, the whole electronics, you know, being on the internet all the time is just oh, yeah. that, that, you know, kind of exhausting. You know, I know I'm getting all that electronic stuff as yeah. well. That, yeah. Know. Well, and I think that being really mindful of what our personal limits are, being yeah. really mindful of eye strain, being really mindful of like even things like just are you like color? You know, I'm in an amber room and um, I really think that like the quality of light makes a huge difference in yeah. terms of how we are processing things. Um, you know, and that's something just in general, I would say for myself, that has been a really big lesson over the last three years has been about the choice to curate my reality. Mm. And I don't mean like bypass and just ignore things that are going on. But I do mean making a very conscious choice about what are the things that I have the capacity to process and that I have the capacity to understand what is my jurisdiction, what is not mine, like what are, you know, and not necessarily just engaging in things because for the sake, like, like just being mindful, like, for example, there were periods of time, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, where I was picking up so much anxiety from the world around us that I had to really, really dial back on anything violent on television. And so I needed to be really cautious about the amount of news that I was exposing myself to on a weekly basis. I needed to be really cautious about any kind of program that involved loud noises or violent, you know, like, like violence and cruelty. And I ended up going through a period where like all I could really tolerate was Good Witch. Like I was watching, which is this very, very sweet Hallmark series about this woman, Cassie Nightingale, who's like a healer and an intuitive. And it's so mild, like it's just mm. so mild. And that was what I could tolerate was mildness. Yeah. And I think that that in a way it's like, whether it's EMFs, whether it's television, whether it is um, exposure to crowds, like whatever it is, that it's very important to be aware of what can we, what is good for our system? What can we tolerate? What can we, what can we work with? I will say personally, I feel incredibly grateful that I, I feel actually very calibrated to computers and to the internet. And so I don't experience computers and internet as being energetically disruptive to my system. Mm. Driving under high tension wires, on the other hand, that makes my skin crawl. Yeah. But, um, but it's almost like my body, like in the same way that Sometimes if like you can just sort of like let your body know that something is coming, we can kind of adapt to it. Mm -hmm. I find that my system is fairly well adapted to computers. Um, if anything, I notice that when I'm away from computers for a fairly, you know, if I'm sort of off grid for a period of time, it takes my nervous system a couple of days to kind of decompress and calm down and relax because it is so stimulating. So I would say for me, it's not harmful as much as it is energizing and stimulating. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, everyone's different, aren't they? Yeah. So um, you better tell us about, I guess, you know, my question would be, well, well, who should work with you? What, what do you offer people other than what you've already told us and just a bit about your book and your podcast as well before we finish? Awesome. So I guess I'll start with talking about the book. And the book is in some ways a really good place to, and as well as the podcast are both really good ways to get a sense of who I am, what I do and whether I'm the right fit. Because 
I feel so strongly that it does not matter how skilled a healer is, if there is not rapport, if there is not a sense of safety, if there is not a sense of trust, and if there is not a sense of you are the right person for me, doesn't matter what kind of credentials I have and doesn't matter how well I've helped somebody else. If I'm not right for you, I'm not right for you. So the book is a two part. So it's a two parts. The first part is the why and the what of what it means to be a highly sensitive empathic person. What it, what like being an empath is all about. Why, at least from my perspective, we are this way. I talk about some of the science of like mirror neurons and just kind of like and and explaining things about like inherited trauma as well as all of the different ways that it can be impacting us. And then the second half of the book is the five-step system of empathic mastery, which is a five-step system to go from, you know, from emotional hot mess to thriving success. But it's all about, first, we have to recognize what's ours and what's not ours. And that is a journey. Like that is an absolute process. And from that recognizing, and I find that it's actually four stages of recognize. First, we recognize we're wonky, we're out of sorts. Secondly, then we start asking the question, is this mine? Then from that, we start asking what's mine, what's not mine, and then going into the deeper level of where is this coming from? What is this about? Why is this happening for me now? Then the next step is release. Because in order to really function well, we need to drain all the stuff that we've been carrying around. We cannot keep absorbing the energy that we've been taking on. And so release is all about using tapping, about using any number of techniques to let go of the stuff we've been carrying. And then only after we've recognized and released, do we start to really protect by building up our energy systems by being able to really gain, um, you know, like, like get like more robust filters and shields and self-protection so that we're not as porous and energetically sensitive, but then also strategic boundaries of like, no, I am not going to respond to that text message from that drama queen of a friend at 1130 at night. And so there's a lot of like self-awareness that comes with protection as well and strategic boundaries as well as energetic boundaries. And then because the universe abhors a vacuum, connect is the fourth step, because in order to not just find ourselves back in the old patterns of absorbing negativity and other people's distress, what we need to do is replace it with positive energy by connecting with a force power greater than ourselves. And your relationship with the divine may be completely different or will be completely different than mine. Therefore, I'm not going to tell you what connect looks like as much as I'm just going to say, we need to connect with something bigger than ourselves and get out of our ego and into our heart. And then from connect, we come to act, which has to do with how do we live in the world as a responsible empath, as an empowered empath, doing things in a different way. So that's the book. And it really does lay out all of it and explain what does it mean? Why do, why are we this way? And what are we going to do about it? The podcast Empathic Mastery Show is a podcast that I've been doing now for a couple of years and where I mostly love to interview other highly sensitive empaths and talk to them about the ways that being highly sensitive is impacting their life and how they've turned their life around. So for example, there's an episode that just recently came out about empaths and narcissists and talking about the impact of being an empath attracted to a narcissist. There's another one that I did about empaths and ADHD. And then another one where I interviewed somebody who's been in animal rescue for many years, talking about empaths and animal rescue and the pitfalls of being an animal rescue as a highly sensitive person, especially with no system set up to protect, to help them run the rescue and the boundarylessness of an unchecked empath. So the podcast, I'm so proud of it. The, the stories that 
I'm so grateful for my audit, for my guests as well, because they're so candid. They're so forthcoming. They're so willing to share their truth. Mm-hmm. And like, it's so raw. It's so real. It's so inspiring. It's so hopeful that um, it just, I love the podcast and I, and I just want as many people to be able to hear these stories as possible, because I think sharing each other, Sharing our stories, which I imagine you agree with, considering the way that you've been running this podcast, it just feels to me like that's the way we're going to turn this world around is by sharing stories and by understanding what each we've been through. So that answers the first two things. And then if like listen, reading my book and listening to my podcast, you're like, I think she might be able to help me. I work in a number of different ways. I basically have sort of two arms to my business. One side of it is that I am a master trainer for EFT International, and I train other people how to be impeccable EFT practitioners. I work very much focused on gentleness and rapport and all about both how to work safely with our clients, but also how to work safely as highly sensitive empathic people. And I run one training a year of level one and two EFT trainings to help somebody develop their skills to become a professional. And then I spend the next year mentoring people into accreditation because it's a, there's many hoops to jump through to become an EFT practitioner through EFT international. Whereas some people can take a course on Udemy and claim to be an EFT practitioner. We actually have very rare, rigorous and, you know, and very, very stringent standards. Mm -hmm. So, and if you're interested in learning more about that, just jump over to eftinstruction.com. The other side of my work is about working with empaths. And I do that both in groups and individually one-on-one. And generally with one-on-one people, I will work in either small, like sort of triage situations where I work like for a short period of time with somebody, or I have people who've been working with me consistently in programs, like where I work with them bi-weekly for years at this point in time, because a lot of people who, once they start working with me, stay with me and we keep working together. Mm -hmm. And so if you're interested in learning more about ways to work with me, you can certainly come over to, um, empathicmastery.com and look at the work with me section. I also run the Empathic Mastery Academy, which is an organ, you know, and I'm running the, I'm right currently running a live round of it where we're going through the five steps of empathic mastery, how to work with it. This is a group program that has a live component to it, but then also it's like, it's got um, lifetime access. Once you're part of it, you get to be part of the community and stay and keep on doing this work together as we explore it and go deeper and deeper. Because in my experience, It's not just a flip a switch and understand it. This is a process. It is a gradual process to fully, deeply, truly come to understand how do we live in a different way so that we are not being debilitated by all of the intensity that we're picking up from the world around us. And the other thing is that recently, one of the things that I've started to do is I am actually, I do a... I pull out my tarot cards once a year to do um, um, new to do readings for a year year readings for people. I have a, pro, a thing called my Magnificent New Year, and so I read. I do a twelve month, very 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 comprehensive, very VIP, very uh, like in depth reading. Right, we'll start like right around right after Thanksgiving and go through the end of January. And I do that like once, just like once a year. And the other thing that I do is Akashic record work, which I love, love, love to do. Mm -hmm. And so, and that I tend to do more of um, not as much like as a program, but as a like, uh, you know, like one or a few sessions with people on that. Although, again, people are like, keep coming back and doing this work. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Yeah. So that's what I do. And that's, that's how I work with people. Yeah. So, or, so really if somebody goes to empathicmastery.com, then they can 
find everything. Exactly. And it's really simple. If you want the book, empathicmasterybook.com. If you want the show, empathicmasteryshow.com. If you want all of it, empathicmastery.com. And like I said, for very specifically for the EFT information, eftinstruction.com. But if you go to empathicmastery.com, it will lead you to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, such a wealth of things that you're here to offer the world. And I'm so yeah. glad you you found your your way to doing that, um, what you're doing now, Jen. Thank you, Arwen. It has been really a pleasure talking with you. I'm a, you know, it's it's always I find it so fascinating sometimes the information that comes through that I'm suddenly like, oh, here's a new piece of information I'd never thought of before. So I had a number of aha moments. I hope other people did too. (laughs) Yeah, wonderful. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Yes. So there we go. Did you, as a result of that conversation, start to think that maybe you are an empath? and need to learn to look after yourself and protect yourself a bit better? Or did you perhaps consider that maybe you'd like to give EFT or tapping a try? Something else that is really powerful to use to reset your autonomic nervous system to get yourself out of that fight or flight mode and back into some rest and digest, some parasympathetic state is energy healing. And that is something that I can help you with. I do work remotely, so it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You can connect with me via my website, evenstarwellbeing.com. Have a look at all the information there about energy healing, about Reiki. And uh, if you'd like to book in, you can do that straight from the website as well. Uh, Otherwise, if you happen to be in Melbourne, Australia, then I do practice out of the western suburbs and I also practice out of the Ballerine Peninsula. So I hope that whatever it is that takes your fancy to get yourself perhaps into a state where you're more relaxed, more able to be, more able to enjoy all that life has to offer, then I do hope that you do that for yourself really soon. We're coming into a really busy time of year for many people and it's really important to look after ourselves so that we can get through it and more importantly, so we can enjoy it. Until next time, please be well.